guys, welcome to another exciting episode of Bad History. Uh, bad History. Bad, how are you doing today, Dave? I'm doing good, Steven. How are you doing? Good stuff. You know, I'm I'm doing, I'm just doing swell. I'm just doing, doing swell? swell. Doing good, man. Yeah, you know. Uh, you swollen? Swollen hard, dude. Swole, bro. Swole, bro. Get those gains. Get those sweet gains, man. Dude, you gotta keep those gains. But you know how it goes. So oh, we I got do. a very exciting episode... As Swole always, as per use on Bad History today, uh, we're going to be talking about our favorite military leaders from history. And, is it favorite? Or fuck. I think favorite. <laughs> I think favorite slash best is the okay, way. Okay, best sounds the, good. You know, yeah. And it's, 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 it's hard to make this argument, but because there's just so many good ones out there. But uh, before we get started on that, uh, how has your week been going, Dave? My week was amazing. Yeah. You want to hear about my week? Of course I want to hear about your week. Okay. This week, I went to the movies. Mm-hmm. What did you see? I saw Guillermo del Toro's film, Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak? How was it? It was all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was real pretty. Yeah, that's, it, look, it, looked, it looked pretty. He's really good at colors. That yeah, Guillermo. that Guillermo, I, man. I'm like a really big Guillermo del Toro fanboy, mm-hmm. and um, I like every movie he's made, if it's good or bad. Um, what bad movies has he made? Some people don't like Mama. Um, Dude, yeah, all right. Some people... I, for, I forgot about that one. Well, he didn't some, direct it. No, but he, he wrote it and produced, produced it. Produced it, yeah. But, like, some people don't like Hellboy, and those people are wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, some people don't like Pacific Rim. Oh, those dude, those people, people can wrong. go... They, they can, like, literally go fuck themselves. That I mean, movie's amazing. You, I feel like you only don't like Pacific Rim if you expect it to be, like... Serious? Something it's not. Yeah. It's exactly what it promises to be. It is. It's the most honest movie you'll ever watch. And I watched that movie on an airplane on one of those fucking yeah. you know smartphone sized screens and <laughs> still blown away. That movie by it's, how it's a fantastic cool movie. It was. Through and through. It's a great okay. movie. It's Steven. Yeah. We're out of weapons. <laughs> Not the other weapons. <laughs> fucking sword engage. Oh man. So good. That's now, just, Crimson Peak was really that, cool. That was it, just um, Guillermo del Toro's wet dream. Dude, it was my wet dream. I know. Growing up with Toonami and the Gundams, that was mm-hmm. the fucking giant robots bashing each other's faces against... Mm-hmm. The, not each other, but, like, monsters. <laughs> Yo, but Crimson Peak was pretty good. It was a, a ghost story. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't really scary. Uh, it, it was more, like, atmosphere creepy. Uh, it had some good acting in it. The Speaking of... Uh, Pacific Rim. Yeah, what's his name? Um, main uh, guy so- from Pacific Rim. <laughs> Sons of Anarchy is in it. Yeah, he was he was one of the main characters. Uh, so was Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston. Uh, Loka. Mm-hmm. So that he was pretty good. Um, yeah, I liked that movie. It it was like, oh, it's spooky and it's it's like whatever. And then like two specific things happened in that movie that like took you out of whatever you were thinking and reminded you that this is a Guillermo del Toro <laughs> movie and just the absurd amount of like unsuspecting violence that occurred like you know uh like in his movies it'll be like oh yeah this is normal and then like something will happen mm-hmm. and they'll like show it so realistically mm-hmm. oh yeah I don't want to ruin anything because you're probably gonna see it. But, yeah. Um, it. Yeah, I might. Th- there's an instance where, um, like, somebody gets killed, and it involves like their head smashing into something. Uh-huh. I'll say that, and you're like, oh, that's brutal. And then like it looks back, and you see his like forehead like cave in. Nice. From each impact, it's nice. so fucking brutal. <laughs> It's it's like the uh, in Pan's Labyrinth when the guy smashes the hunter's face in with the bottle. Like it's that brutal. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. 
Pan's Labyrinth is great, man. It, it's entertaining as fuck. So okay. that's my review of it. Guillermo del Toro's movies, entertaining as fuck. It's true. <laughs> What'd you do true. this week? Did you see any movies, play any video games, read any books? Uh, this week I actually had like a super busy but very exciting weekend. Uh, so it was my fall break. Uh, oh, sweet. from grad school, which is cool because I was like definitely expecting not to get a fall break for grad school, and then they were like, "Yeah, it's fall break, don't do anything." And so, um, I only had class Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday morning, I went to back home to Charleston for a few days. Oh, shit. Yeah, for um for Thursday, and then I left Friday afternoon, and. Yeah, I'll be in Charleston probably Wednesday night. Wednesday uh, we're night. Fi- we're recording this on a Sunday. Okay. So. Very cool. Yeah. So that's when you that's when you're gonna head back. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Um, I might stop in Columbia. It actually dude, takes me right through there. Do it. Come <laughs> yeah. Get, come get dinner with us or something. Okay. I might. All right. I might. I haven't seen you in so long. I know. I want to rub beards. We. I, well, obviously we're gonna rub beards together. Cool. So what'd you do on your big uh, oh, shit. fall so, break? Um, yeah, so Thursday, Thursday it was great. I didn't really do anything, which best. is like, yeah, it's the best. And then same with same with Friday. I slept in, uh, watched, I think I watched Dog the Bounty Hunter for a while and drank <laughs> coffee. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, my God. I found his autobiography this weekend, too. Oh, my God. Are yeah. You... I, I I'm only I aware it. of Dog the Bounty Hunter from the South Park episode. Like I've never seen. You ever watched the show? Yeah, the no. show. The show is <laughs> the show is awful. But is it? It's, it's just it's like, like it's 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 like it's so bad you can't look away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Uh, Good Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I've never seen any Dog the Bounty Hunter shit. Is Bear it Ma- good though? Bear Mace, that's like, bitch. Go with grass. Because sometimes I I find myself caught up in a four hour marathon of cops. Oh like... no! Listen, yeah. Oh, I will get lost into cops. I actually like genuinely really enjoy that show though. Cops. Yeah. Yeah, but you wouldn't say cops is like a good show. Uh, I mean, well, there's yeah, but uh, it's great. It's great to just watch. It's great. I definitely cops, lo- cops is one of my, it's definitely one of my guilty pleasures. Yeah. Oh, because the best thing about cops is as soon as cops is over, there's, there's another, always, always another, another episode, episode of cops, of cops on. Cops Yo. has been on for like forty years. Cops has been on. They'll randomly show episodes from like the early nineties. That's the best. The crack yeah. era. The crack era of cops. Yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> just like crazy. dudes with mustaches busting people for crack. Yo, let me actually. I'm really curious how long Cops has been it. on the air. But oh, <laughs> I've I've leaned so hard into like my love for Cops. It's... Cops started in 1989, <laughs> and it's still going on. They're still showing new episodes. That's They're on insane. season 28. <laughs> There's got they've got to be like approaching on a record. Oh my God, Cops is so good. Cops, oh, it's incredible. But so then I went back to Columbia on Friday and Saturday morning I actually drove up to Asheville with Gio and we spent the weekend in Asheville and we got back uh, early this afternoon and that was a lot of fun. I got... Uh, you and Gio, dude, in, enjoying the, the leaves dropping and changing yeah. colors. Yeah, she um she really wanted to see the leaves change in, change in colors and so Asheville was like the best place for that. And we stayed with... Um, I got a buddy who... Uh, works up there so we stayed with him cool um so that was that was that was a lot of fun and hung out uh went to i bought a uh oh i actually bought a book went to this this awesome antique like bookstore yeah and uh i bought a book from like the 19 that was written in like the 1940s about the fall of the roman empire so that was really cool yeah and it was just like a really cool looking book too so um, nice. Dude, and, you know the yeah. don't judge a book by its cover nonsense mm-hmm. that they peddle? Uh-huh, right. It's nonsense. It is nonsense. <laughs> the better the cover, the better the book. 
always that's, true. That's so accurate. Hundred percent true. Well, it's like it's like how uh, every rectangle is a square, but not every square is a rectangle. Or is it? Or is it every that. every square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is. It's, it's every square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is a square. Yeah, but every um, book with an awesome cover is an awesome. It's good, book. but just because the book doesn't have an awesome cover doesn't mean it's awesome. You know what I'm saying? I'll agree, I'll agree to that. Uh, but that was my some, weekend. Some scrolls don't even have covers, and those are awesome scrolls. <laughs> good scrolls. Uh, Dude, good but, scrolls. But then we just watched the uh, second episode of. That is now our, story. our catchphrase after a good story. Say what? Good, good scrolls. Good scrolls. Good Holy scrolls. shit. Good scrolls, dude. Good scrolls. Maybe that's how we'll end the show. I've been, I've been, I've been wanting to have like a phrase that we go out on. Good scrolls, man. Good scrolls. Holy like shit, it. it's perfect. All right, that's it. That's it. It's up there. It's up there with the best. Sweet. But yeah, then we watched the second episode of American Horror Story uh, Hotel. Oh yeah. It uh yeah. It's the it, one with Lady Gaga. Yeah, or is she in like a bunch of them. It, I don't know. I don't watch that. The show. first the first episode made like literally no sense, and this one makes a little bit more sense. But it was it's, it was pretty weird. Lots of like group sex. Well, you know. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so. That's what hotels are for. Mm-hmm. Dirty motels, specifically. You don't do group sex in your house. No, that did. Then you gotta do laundry after that, and that's the Dude, last thing fuck, you wanna do. That's so many stains. Mm-hmm. So many stains to get out. So many Dude, uh. Fuck that. So many uh stranger stains. Stranger stains. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, let's get started. All right. <laughs> okay. All right, so Dave. Uh, so we're gonna be talking about our our who we think are the best military leaders in history. Best military and, leaders. And I want to hear yours. Oh, okay. Uh, this military leader uh, was a philosopher, mm-hmm. a historian, much like us. So we we should uh, hold him in a higher regard. I think. Okay. Now, if he actually existed, is is a little debatable. Oh shit. But I think I we, know who you're doing. But we do have evidence of some of his philosophy. Some some quotes I'd like to quote from All his right. famous work, "The Art of War." Uh, okay. Know yourself, and you will win all battles. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And my favorite quote. Can you imagine what I would do if I could do all I can? I'm talking about Sun Tzu. <laughs> so, let me give you a little backstory. Do it. Because uh, I know literally nothing about this man. Mr. Zhu, okay? Sun Tzu, uh, if he did live, which is, you know, it's a debatable thing. But, you know, we debate a lot of other historical figures... Mm-hmm. We debate, you know, whether Confucius lived. We debate whether Jesus lived. We debate mm-hmm. whether Ronald McDonald lived. But if he did live, Sun Tzu lived around 500 BC. BCE for all you non-Gentiles out there who get offended at referring to time in a Christian oh, in a Christian nature. Go with Christ. I have sympathy. I have sympathy. Uh, so 500 BC, uh, this was during a period in uh, modern-day China, known as the Warring States era, where, and forgive me if there are any blatant or racist mispronunciations, <laughs> because I don't know anything about China historically or cool, cool. linguistically or culturally um so yeah so the the warring states era where the zhao the qi the quin the chu the han the wei and the yan territories were constantly uh fighting each other mm-hmm. but uh regardless of those there was um this territory in the east called Wu, W-U, 
uh, and this is where Sun Tzu was born. And the Wu territory would become prevalent much more later in China's history at, at the fall of the Han Dynasty, uh, around 200 AD or CE, um, during the period known as the Romance of the Three Kingdoms era that is coined by the famous like historical novel by Luo Guangzhong. The Romancing the Stone Era. Romancing the Stone Era. Danny DeVito chasing yeah. everybody down trying to get that diamond or whatever. I've Dude, no I've never, what I've never seen those movies. <laughs> I've never seen those movies. I just googled Romancing the Stone because I was so okay. curious. Romancing the Family Stone. <laughs> uh, so... Sun Tzu, uh, he was an excellent soldier, right? Mm-hmm. He was immediately uh, sort of recognized by the king of Wu, known as King Helu, and he decided to test Sun Tzu before giving him real sort of like military power. Mm-hmm. And this is really the great anecdote of Sun Tzu's kind of uh, origin story. So King Helu decided to give Sun Tzu uh, two companies of soldiers. So 180 soldiers made up entirely of King Helu's concubines. Mm-hmm. So he got all his whores out of the whorehouse. <laughs> and he said, you whores, you lazy, better start fighting. So Sun Tzu Wait, so was he, like... so he gave him an army of, of, of hookers? He of, emptied of street his harem. walkers? He, he emptied his harem. Of, of common... Concubine. Of common... I can't think of another word for... Camp followers? These salutes. Bunch of salutes. <laughs> These salutes... <laughs> Uh, no, but they were 180 of the king's personal concubines. <laughs> so King Halu is getting... So they're the best of the best. The best of what they the did. best. Uh, also, King Halu had 180 concubines at some point. Probably more. He probably didn't give I up mean, every single one of his concubines. You only live once, right, Dave? Yellow concubines. Uh, so he, he made these two companies, and uh, every company needs an officer... So Sun Tzu picked Halu's two favorite concubines to lead each company, right? Mm-hmm. So the test was that they had to be uh, trained to like the you know the basic minimum standard of of an army, I guess. Uh, you know whatever. So Sun Tzu he gets the companies together, makes them form ranks, and then he commands them during their drills to legends say turn left so face left about face right Mm -hmm. and they laugh at him all the concubines uh giggle in their concubine way so uh they they giggle they decide to giggle at him at his orders and ignore him and sun tzu tries again uh, he tries a second command, and once again, they laugh at him and ignore him. So in front of the entire army, and King Halu himself, Sun Tzu pulls out the two commanding officers, the mm-hmm. two of Halu's favorite concubines, and kills them. Nice. <laughs> in front of them. Nice. Uh, he executed them, and he claimed it was the duty of officers to get a company to comply and the failure of that company to comply lied solely on the shoulders of the officers nice new officers uh from the concubine corps the cc baby <laughs> bring back our boys bring back our boys bring, bring, bring back our boys from 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 war the cc stand the CC. strong uh the concubine uh company he, he replaced the two officers and miraculously <laughs> All the concubines followed orders. Nice. And uh, King Halu... Well, you would think you would think they would. <laughs> yeah, they they had seen what what happens when you don't follow orders, right? So King Halu was really impressed, and he said, "Wow, Sun Tzu, 
bro, these hookers, I couldn't get them to do anything. And now they're ready to go to war. Write a book. <laughs> and Sun Tzu's like, I got you, Halu. And uh, he nice. became a general in the Wu army and uh, may or may not have, remember, this is all sort of folklorist history, you know? It's anecdotal history. Mm-hmm. I can't pull up a JSTOR on any of this. <laughs> um, but it's true, trust me. <laughs> I believe you. So he, he famously uh, was one of the main generals in the Battle of Boju, which was the Wu forces versus the Chu forces, C-H-U. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was pretty much the first large-scale or large scale war uh, in the Eastern Zhou Dynasty, and it allowed Wu, under the command of Sun Tzu, to reach pretty much a zenith in their power. While after this war, the Chu pretty much diminished. And uh, as you know, uh, Sun Tzu's most famous legacy is this little book, this little bamboo scroll type thing. I don't know. I don't know. Sweet scroll? I don't know if if you've heard of that. It's called The Art of War, man. Uh The Art of War, starring Wesley Snipes. (laughs) As art. As art, Arthur War. Uh, Arthur. So, <laughs> so uh, what the Art of War did and does to this day, which is super good, super better than anything that mm-hmm. anybody else has done, is it, it approaches war and conflict in general, as well as basic administration, um, from the perspective of sort of the enlightened Taoist which is where Sun Tzu would have been writing from at, mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and it's been used by many military leaders since as like a basis of strategy, as well as understanding your enemy. And it's also very prevalent in the business world. Um, the chapters range from focusing on strategic attack to intelligence and espionage, and they focus greatly on the natural aspects of war, such as using terrain to your advantage, and mm. fire. Fire is a big thing in Sun Tzu's Art of War. And this Ooh. book is is pretty, you know, it's pretty important. I think if you had to read like a hundred books, if there was a list of a hundred most important books written in human history, Sun Tzu's Art of War would definitely be in that list. I, I think. Hmm agree with me mm-hmm. it goes bible Quran, I, uh, art of you're, war your list the hobbit okay the hobbit <laughs> harry potter six <laughs> harry, harry potter and the goblet of fire yeah is that the sixth one i don't even know <laughs> i i just i just first one i think it's four confession time hold on hold on um yeah i've not read all the harry potter books you asshole Anyway, How have you so, not read the most... No, no, no. No, no, this is important now. How have you not read all the Harry Potter books? Because those things are long, man. I ain't got that time. Unbelievable. <laughs> time. All right, what were you like saying? like 100 pages. I ain't got time. I, okay, I, so I anyway, The Art of War is like a super, super, super important book, man. <laughs> uh, it's like been adapted and it's influenced pretty much every military leader who could have access to it since it, it was you know written um it in, influenced greatly like japanese style of art for or art form warfare mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. It, it's definitely influenced modern military tactics especially in sort of the world war era mm-hmm. and um an interesting story about the art of war uh pretty much our best copy of the art of war was actually found in 1972 when some construction workers in china unearthed like a a gravesite or something and there was like an extremely well preserved copy of it that's insane right like like oldest oldest like 1972 this book survived you know 500 bc to now that survived you know the you know 
the intellectual revolutions of sort of the Maoist China, not to mention the cultural revolution mm-hmm. of uh, China in like 200 BC. That's like insane. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much that's pretty cool. Like nobody will argue that it is one of the most important books ever written. I think. Um, so yeah, Mao. So, so that's why he couldn't the most take couldn't take it down. Leader. Because of his uh, influence in all military uh-huh. matters, and also he was an amazing military mm-hmm. leader. He trained those hookers, Stephen. He did. You know, I can't disagree with you that he did train the hookers. I don't see Hannibal marching a bunch of French whores up the Alps. No, but he did march elephant, elephants through the Alps. He mar- he marched elephants. That's Stephen. Steven, you can't mm. call women elephants. <laughs> you can't do that. That's insensitive. Bro, listen. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about being PC, but... I think that's a bit overdone. It's a I bit think, overdone. I think we know that we're both cis-scum male privilege... Shitlords. People. Shitlords. Yeah. You've got cool. your... You've got your white Christian privilege. I've got my uh-huh. my white trans privilege. dragon kin privilege. Let's just shake hands on it. And call it even. So that's Sun Tzu. The unarguable greatest military mind of all time. Hmm. I don't think yeah. anybody could present any argument about anybody else in a like 15 to 20 minute long kind of <laughs> segment dissertation that could even possibly challenge what 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 huh what are you doing Stephen? <laughs> <laughs> back back down dave uh never back down dude back down dave so yeah that's sun Tzu. let's hear about i don't know who you're presenting on let's hear about it um, so originally I was actually, I thought when you said you were like, I don't know if this guy exists, speculation, if this guy actually exists, I was, I thought you were going to do Beowulf because I was super close really? to doing Beowulf. Really? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, Beowulf fought fucking dragons. Okay. Yeah. That's this why. This is called bad history, but come on, man. Yeah. No, no, no. And I was going to base it all around the movie. Oh, the Angelina Jolie movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that movie creeps me out. That movie is fucking awful. It's the worst. It me out because, like, it's the they worst. They use CG, but they use like weird CG, man. They, no, it was like it, they couldn't decide. It's like, do we want this to be live action or do we want this to be a cartoon? And then eventually, the producers were just like, "Fuck it, we're gonna do both." Oh man, it's like the Uncanny Valley. Like, oh, it makes me so uncomfortable. It's awful. Um, Fuck. But but yeah, then I decided that I would probably just you know I'd stay. Stay safe, but I think definitely uh, arguable that uh, Napoleon is the greatest military leader of all time. You know, I, you know what I was about to say? I was about to say mm. I'm really glad you and I stayed away from the obvious choices. I was like, I'm so glad we stayed away from, like, Alexander the Great. I'm really glad we stayed away from Napoleon. I'm really glad we stayed away. Listen, Dave. Listen, from... man. There's there's a reason why he's considered considered one of the best. Listen, dog. Listen, dog. There's a reason why he's considered one of the best. Because he is the best. Didn't he lose? Checkmate. Every, everyone Sun Tzu's loses, book man. Is still Every... in the bookstore right now. I could go buy it. Thirteen ninety nine. Everyone dies, yourself. dog. Everyone dies, dog. Okay, yeah, because he wrote he wrote a book. Fantastic. You know, who, you know who read that book? You know who else wrote a book? Dog the Bounty Hunter wrote a book, and it's in Napoleon bookstores right now. Book. You can go buy it Dude, right that's next why, to the That's Art why Dog the Bounty Hunter is so fucking doing shit. That's why he's so popular. He, Everybody loves Dog the Bounty He read The Art of War when he was 16. What? I said he read The Art of War when he was 16. It changed his life. Yeah, that and... Um... Awesome hairdos from the 80s. And how to get away with being racist. Is he racist? Yeah, he got in the... Oh, have you heard about, like, all the trouble he got in? Dude, I don't know shit about Doc the Bounty Hunter. He, 
He dropped a hard N word on uh, one of his episodes. Whoa, you never dropped a it, hard N word. I think it was either maybe someone filmed it or like it aired for some fucking reason. Listen, but you don't. Yeah. Did, why would the producers let that happen? I dude, I don't know, but he got in trouble for for dropping the hard N word. Yo, Michael Richards just wanted to apologize to the Afro American community. Don't laugh. This is serious, guys. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> the Afro American. Oh shit! Yeah, that was sad. Talking about. Not, I mean, just just the fact that like he was trying to be so serious. Uh, oh, all right. At anyway, everybody's laughing at it's him. Kramer. And Seinfeld's like, "Come on, guys. Come on. This is serious. Come on. Come on, guys." All right. Um, let's hear about Napoleon. All right. Let's hear about so why Napoleon's Na- the best military leader of all time. So Napoleon is, uh, of course, the famous French military leader and emperor. He, but he was actually not French. He was born in Corsica in 1769. Corsica is off the coast of Italy in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, but luckily for him, Corsica had just been become French that year that he was born. Uh, and so... He is born into a minor noble family. What this means is that he had a name, but he had no money. So his parents decided to send him to military school. And uh, while at military school, he studies um, using artillery. He becomes an artillery military leader, which is super important for him later on. So during the heart of the revolution, during the real meat of it, the meat and bones, he's he's chilling in Corsica, um, but he, he decides to leave in 1793. And he heads to France, and he openly sides with the Jacobins. And the Jacobins, just a little for people who don't know, the Jacobins are the radical group in, uh, during the Revolution in France. They're, so, some of their members, or one of their, their most famous member is Maximilien Robespierre. And they're, they're the ones that are like calling for everybody's heads. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the ones calling for everybody's heads. And so, but he sides with the Jacobins, and this is actually pretty important for him. So he goes to France, and um, during this time period, there are a bunch of cities outside of Paris, and Paris is where like all the revolution happens, pretty much. But there are cities outside of Fra- Paris uh, that are decide to, to stage these um, these uprisings in the name of the king, and one of them is one of them happens in Lyon. It's one of the most actual brutal put downs in history, but. Uh, there's also one in um, in Toulon, Brutal and this is where where we really see kind of Napoleon, his first name in the in the in the headlines. He's uh, he's ordered to go to Toulon. Yo, dude, and... you got a you got a French up, bro. I'm not French enough, man. You gotta say Toulon. Toulon. When he heads back to France or heads to France, uh, he's ordered to go to Toulon. And retake the city from the royalists who, uh, who are you know take the city in the name of the king, and uh, he. I don't know what you're saying, man. I don't speak that filthy language. I'm just giving some for the French listeners. I'm just providing a little background, mm -hmm. little background French. Uh, uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Dave, <laughs> you're interrupting. That's... But, uh... <laughs> so, he's leading the artillery during... So, he's leading the artillery during this, uh... During the siege of the city. And, um... You know, this is really where people start to kind of... Hear his name. Because he uses the artillery exceptionally well during the siege. And, uh... He gets the attention of this guy named Barras. And... Uh, he's pretty much this wealthy uh, politician, and he becomes Napoleon's patron, which means he's pretty much funds Napoleon, and uh, he's the one that you know, like, pretty much becomes Napoleon's funnel of money. And what's really important here is, Dave, I'm sure you're sure you've heard of the Thermidorian reaction, right? Oh, have I heard of the Thermidorian reaction? So the Thermidorian reaction is this: is during the um, in the revolution in the revolution during the revolution they completely rewrite the ca- uh, calendar from the Roman 
standard calendar calendar to this new calendar, this like revolution calendar, and they have all new months and everything. And the Thermidorian reaction is takes place during their month of Thermidor, which is roughly around July. And uh, what it is is it's pretty much the reaction to Maximilien Robespierre being uh, arrested and then killed. Um, but because Napoleon has a patron, um, specifically, you know, specifically because he has Barras as his patron, he's able to survive this whole time period where just like people were dropping like flies, man. They were getting off left and right. Um, so, uh, in 1795, Barras calls on Bonaparte to put down a royal royalist revolt, another one. And during during this, he kills 1,400 people with cannon fire, and uh. And this is the first time you see, or at least the first time in this time period, you see the army being used to put down a citizen's affair. So instead of like a militia putting him down or some sort of police force, force it's the actual army putting down the citizens, uh, like the citizen operation. Um, so in 1796, a few years after, or about a year after this, he's put in charge of the army of Italy. And the reason he does this is not because Italy is important. Uh, as we discussed last episode, Italy is just kind of a nuisance. They're just kind of there. And uh, the reason they do this is because the Habsburgs in Austria control part, uh, part, of, part of Italy. They, they control land in Italy, and you know they kind of want to just fuck with the Habsburgs. So Napoleon goes to, uh, goes to Italy, and the, he really starts to gain a really good reputation with his army. He's paying his army extremely, extremely well. He's really building good loyalty within his army. So instead of them, him just being, you know, another guy they they lead, they or they follow, he's really a leader. He's, he, you know, he's a, he's someone that they want to follow, not someone that they have to follow, right? And so, during this time period, Napoleon decides that it's a good idea not only to gain loyalty within his army, but to also establish loyalty within Italy, in within Italy itself. So what he decides to do is start supporting uh, Italian Jacobins, who you know, as mentioned earlier, as mentioned earlier, he uh, he came out at you know he was he openly supported the Jacobins, and um, he's also talking about unifying Italy and helping unify Italy, which Italians are all for. And um, word goes back, gets back to the Directory, which is the group of um, politicians that are in charge of. Uh, France at this time period, and uh, they they're really not not chill about the fact that he's, you know, talking about unifying Italy. That's not really what they sent him there to to do. So instead, what they decide to do is just send him to Egypt. So they have this whole Egyptian campaign for for Napoleon, and uh, he 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 goes to he goes to Egypt, but it's really he's kind of got a on in, in like this window of time because. He wins all the land battles handedly, but all the naval battles he loses. So there's really no way for him to, to for for troops to get resupplied in Egypt. So he's really got a limited amount of time he can be in Egypt. Then he's got to pack pack his things and move. But a lot of really good things happen when he's in Egypt, at least for um, you know now. Look, looking back, um, the biggest one, of course, that he discovers the Rosetta Stone, and this is the stone that allows us to um to to be able to decipher egyptian hieroglyphics and a bunch of other ancient languages also um, so you can spend like yeah. 80 bucks and learn fucking italian with rosetta stone exactly all because of napoleon <laughs> all and because uh, of napoleon. um so by 1799 so a few years after he goes to italy and egypt um the the french military in europe is just kind of fucking up pretty bad. And the Directory, which is the group in charge of France itself, is really losing its legitimacy. And so, as is classic French style, they decide to just stage another re revolution and throw throw over the Directory. And um, some names you might recognize. Uh, Seos, he's the one uh, who's... He, he's written a lot of the constitutions for Italy during the revolution. And Talleyrand is actually one of the guys who... Dude, fuck uh, that guy. Fucking Talleyrand, man. Talleyrand Dude, he's fucking everywhere. Is, I don't want to get into Talleyrand too much, but go look up Talleyrand. He's one of those interesting people. We're having a Talleyrand episode at some point. Anyway, so 
We'll have a Tolly Rand episode Rand at some episode. point. It's it's worth it. <laughs> um, it's worth it. So, what these guys decide to do is to take Napoleon and put him in charge because they need someone who has really good reputation with people to um, to lead the government. So. Napoleon, they, they perform a coup over the directory, and Napoleon is put in charge. So that's how Napoleon gets to power. And then I'll kind of go through quickly what he does while he's in power. Uh, what he does is, is ideally, uh, there were supposed to be three consuls, and you know, pretty much three, three executive, like, like leaders of the executive branch, if you want to think about it like that. And Napoleon was going to be the first consul. So... He he, pretty much right when he gets in right when he gets into power, he uh, he pretty much just seizes it all for himself. He pretty much says, you know, fuck everybody else. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna take power for myself. He also makes a bunch of really good social changes within um, France itself, which I think is important for a military leader to not just think about domestically or foreignly foreign, but also think domestically. Um, the biggest thing that he does is he is he reestablishes uh, uh, ties with the church, and um, if you know anything about the revolution, you know that they were not fond of religion. They were like super super against religion. They really purged religion out of France, and Napoleon decides you know that was really dumb, and that the stupidest thing that can that can France can fall into is divisions over religion. So he he ties he uh, he he. He ties up the 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 broken you know friendship between the Catholic Church and France, and uh, he he makes the uh, treaty with them, and it's called the Concordat, and this is in 1801, and he makes this with the Pope, and it says like he says come he says come on back um you know we'll we'll welcome you back in religion will, will be a part of uh of of you know french culture again he said but catholicism will not be the official religion and all the land that we took back from the priests originally you're not getting back now so Steve, uh this is do all what fine and dandy this is nice yeah well i mean pretty much the, the pope this doesn't the pope make agrees. him seem like a great military guy to me listen dog i'm getting to that um <laughs> th- this is all leading to something better anyway so so the Pope agrees, and then right before the Concordat is, uh, I guess, instated, um, he, uh, he 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 does he he adds these things. They're called the Organic Articles, and what they are is they're not negotiated with the Church. They're just stuff things that Napoleon decided to add last minute by himself. And what it says is that uh, Protestantism and Judaism are in the same boat as Catholicism. So that they get all the same rights, you know, they get all the same benefits, um, and the Pope is none too happy about this. But but Napoleon realizes that their religion is a great tool to control people. So, you know, this is this is one of the things that makes him a really good military leader is he's really smart about reading people and understanding people and knowing what to do to you know to make to to control them pretty much to you know, really, really take control over them. Um, and, uh, he also, you know, not less important to his military strategy is he passes what he, what were called the civil codes in 1804. And, uh, these change a lot of things within, within, uh, France and kind of, you know, they, they, they go back against a bunch of the stuff that the revolution kind of put into place, but I won't touch on those. So Napoleon starts to pretty much, you know, start, go to war with all of Europe. And he, he wins pretty handily. He's an extremely good military leader. And as he's fighting in pretty much every single country in Europe, besides Britain, he's instating family and really close Ooh. friends who he can trust as, you know, puppet rulers pretty much in these countries. <laughs> what this show, what he's trying to show with this is that, you know, Napoleon's empire is not a military dictatorship, but a civilian one. That's what he's trying to show by putting in, you know, not just directly controlling it. But uh, in 1804, and this really doesn't, um, this really doesn't bode well for him. In 1804, Napoleon declares himself emperor, and uh, and by 1808, he's giving out no- nobility titles. So 
you know, the guy the guy's getting a little bit ahead of himself, to say the least. But for for about twelve years, from eighteen hundred to eighteen twelve, Napoleon has like zero opposition. France has zero opposition to them. So whenever another important thing to look to to, to think about is that whenever the French troops moved into uh, a new city or a new you know area of land, they would impose the civil the civil code and install a secular government and uh, and confiscate the church lands and so really he tried to push this modern idea of secular government and you know like a fair a fair government onto these places. So I think that's pretty important. It's a pretty important thing that he did. But uh, what really ended up biting him in the ass, and I think you know what it is, Dave. Uh, Russia. Yeah. He let's let's, pa- let's pause for a moment. Let's pause for a moment. I think there's a little advice we should yeah. impart. Russia oh, yeah. is is very cold. Do not it's very cold Russia. and it's very big. The number one rule yeah. is never get locked in a land war in Asia, because you yeah, will not yeah, yeah. win. Yeah. Yeah, and and Ru- Russia is ha- like half of Asia. Uh, it's also Russia is like the only country where if like full on global warming, like like it will act it actually benefits. Global warming benefits <laughs> Russia. It's the only country that 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 exists. It's the only country where global warming benefits them. <laughs> um, you just you just never invade Russia. It's it's never worked out for anybody. Anyway, Napoleon decides to invade Russia, and uh, so he enters. He decides to enter Russia with this huge grand army. And, the Grand uh, Armée. Yeah, seven hundred thousand men go into Russia, and uh, within um, by by the time they actually reach Moscow. A third of the army is lost. A third of the army is just like bit the dust, and uh, um, they get to Moscow, and the the summer is just brutal. The like that's the thing about Russia is that the winters are cold as hell, and the summers are hot as hell. It's there's, there's no way to win, and the the summer just wrecks them because they have you know they're undersupplied, they're they're the troops are starving. It's just it's awful. Um, and so Napoleon decides, all right, this is a fucking stupid idea. And he decides to retreat, but he decides to retreat right before winter starts. And, uh, so they're retreating through the winter and it's one of the worst winters on record, which it always seems to be one of the worst. It's always the worst winter on record. Yeah. Um, and you know, at this time, uh, Russia's also, or Russia is also, uh, using guerrilla warfare to just pick off Napoleon's army, and uh, but Napoleon decides he he pretty much says, "Fuck it, I got to get out of here," and he moves ahead of his troops and is able to cross the, cross the Russian border back into his own territory. So Napoleon's alive, but almost all of his army is is destroyed, and the problem with this is that it it, it means that he's going to have to. In, um, to really heavily enforce conscription, which is pretty much a draft, and people just don't want to do that. They they know that they're going to lose, you know, a lot of family, a lot of a lot of sons and fathers and brothers to that. So France is pretty much done with Napoleon at this point and hands him over to the British, and uh, he's exiled. He comes back for a little bit, doesn't do doesn't win anything, and is exiled again to Saint Helena off the coast of Africa. And yeah. that's where he dies. And uh, so that's the end of Napoleon. But Yo, he sounds so, like such a good military leader. Listen, listen. <laughs> the reason I think he's the most important military leader is because he changed the whole face of warfare as we know it. Before Napoleon, warfare was a constant ongoing thing. It wasn't something where you fought a war and it was like, the it was a full like a full blown and throw everything that you have at the other person war. It was wars where they stopped and they started again. They stopped and they started again. They stopped and they started again. Napoleon, his idea, his grand vision was this isn't going to be an ongoing war. This is going to be the last war. 
he and that's an idea we still have today we don't you know when we send troops off to war we don't say yeah you know do your best but we're probably you know there's there's gonna be more just just you know do your best but you know in in, in, in a few years you're just gonna go back no, it's this idea. It's like we're gonna go to war to end this war. To be, this is gonna be gonna be the last war, and that's that's the idea that Napoleon instills, and that's the idea we still have today. That's why he is the most important military leader that of you know ever. That's why he's the most important military leader we that has ever we've ever seen on Earth. And to really sum up the idea, if you want to do some outside reading, there's a really really fantastic book called uh, The First Total War. It's by David Bell. And it talks about this idea that Napoleon, uh, Napoleon, you know, was the one who first brought forward the idea of total war and like the last war. So that, that's my argument for it. But, but yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. That's, that, that's my argument why Napoleon's the, the most important military leader. Nah, Napoleon's chill as fuck. Shoutouts to the BBC yeah. docudrama series Heroes and Villains, episode Wait, one that... about Napoleon. Wait, oh god, that's what it was called? Oh my god. Dude, it's so I, good. I t- Heroes and Villains, Villains by BBC. Dude. How, I can't remember. Shoutouts to the best docudrama ever made. It was, it was l- literally the greatest docu- docudrama I've ever seen. It puts History Channel's... Russia, Land of the Tsars, and the French Revolution on blast. To, to shame. <laughs> to Dude, shame. That, that's so good. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I'll, I'll take Napoleon being definitely in the top five. Best. I think he's number one, man. Nah, dude. I say, I say he's fourth or fifth. He's not the most fun military leader because the most fun military leader is Gustavus Adolphus, obviously. Yeah, dude, because he rips obviously. face. He rips fucking face, man. Dude, he but, fucking rips face. But, uh, I mean, I think he's the most important military leader. I think if, if we were gonna if we were gonna disagree, which we are going to disagree, yeah, I I, I think my top five in no particular order would be Sun Tzu, Napoleon. Chinggis Khan, Attila the Hun, and Alexander the Great. Okay, I don't disagree with you. Um, I mean, and, and like my... in terms of, there's a difference between like military, like mind and military, like accomplishments as well. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like Robert E. Lee had like one of the greatest military minds. But mm-hmm. he, he, there was no way he was gonna win that war, no matter Listen, what. Robert Lee, Ro, Robert E. Lee was a bro. He was a total bro. He didn't own any slaves. Dude, but the minute Robert E. Lee the was a, the homie. <laughs> what? He was the homie. Yeah, dude, he was a total bro. He was like, I gotta go back, man. It's where I'm from. It's my homeland. It's like that's so damn respectable. Like I'm glad he lost. I'm very glad. Yeah, no, 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 no. Obviously, yeah. Like we didn't want but that shit to happen. Are you kidding me? That would've been awful. Good guy. Good guy. Good, 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 good guy. Bad cause. Dude, mad homie. But I appreciate. I, think, I appreciate yeah. the story time, Stephen. Yeah, it's course, really man. good. You too, man. But, I I but, learned. Uh, I loved. I laughed. I danced like I nobody was watching. I sang like nobody mm-hmm. was listening. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good shit. Good shit, dude. Good scroll, yeah, I mean, man. My... Good scroll. It's a good scroll. <laughs> it's good. Uh, but I think I think my the reason why, like, I don't think there there's ever like one solid like. I mean, I I'll make the argument that Napoleon is the best military leader, but I think it's really empires and uh, like whole yeah. countries that you have to make the argument for. Like, I think. Like Rome, for example, you can't pick one leader or one uh, emperor out of Rome and say like he was the best military leader, because it was really like you know it was a combination of so many. Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar argument over. I mean, yeah, he was a good military leader, but like he didn't change the face of warfare. You know what I mean? Like he made some huge changes, but it was. I mean, it was it was a lot more than just him. 
Well, there's a difference between being a good military leader and changing fundamentally what we see as war. I mean, that's kind of asking a lot. Like, the guy who ripped the most face died in battle. Gustavus Adolphus, he didn't change the face of war. The only thing he changed the face of was all the people whose faces he ripped off. No, he changed a lot of of stuff about warfare. Who, Gustavus Adolphus? Yeah, dog. Dude, I don't... Go look it up. Go, Go look it up. Guys, go look it up. Gustavus Adolphus. Honestly, though, he rips face. I pro- I promise you, he he did a lot. He has a college. Now. There's the Gustavus Adolphus College in Sweden. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's amazing. I want to go. Do you know what their mascot is? What? G- Gus the lion. <laughs> Wait, what? It's Gus the lion. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. He's the best. He's the sexiest man in history. He's amazing. Dude, he's amazing. Well, anyway, yeah, good scrolls all around. Good scrolls. Good, good scrolls. scrolls. Good scrolls. Good scrolls. Um, good scrolls. I think we'll never agree on this, but we will agree on some things. Uh, Sherman's a badass. Mm-hmm. And Well, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't appreciate they burned down the city that I'm currently living in, but... Dude, he made your city famous. Yeah, and sure. Gustavus, and that Gustavus Adolphus rips face. That yeah, and that hero, and that heroes and villains is the best docudrama to ever ever best be aired on TV. Docudrama. I want anybody who's listening to this to fucking stop, and then go watch Heroes and Villains by BBC season one, episode one on Napoleon. It's like an hour and a half tops. It's glorious phenomenal the Napole- phenomenal the best the best napoleon movie made and it's not even a movie so right. fucking good it's dude good i'm gonna go watch it i'm gonna stop this right now and go watch it is that it for you then <laughs> that's it man i'm gonna go fucking watch it right that's now it for you all right dude <laughs> well next there week you go. you've wasted another hour with us on uh bad <laughs> on bad, bad history, history. Okay. All right, so next week on Bad History, what is it, Dave? Next week on Bad History, we're going to be talking about empires. Ooh, empires. Empires. First first I've heard of them. Dude, don't they coach baseball? <laughs> I know I know very little about sports, but that sounds completely accurate. Well, dude, thank you. They, thanks again they for joining us. They go for all us. those I... slam dunks in baseball, dude. They get all, they get all the... The the three point conversions. Just uh, don't just don't slide tackle someone or you will be put in the penalty box. You will be put yeah, that that is a that is complete and total Fact. disqualification, maybe? American baseball. Uh best sport. Yeah, well well th- thanks again for joining us on Bad History. Bad uh history. we're on we're on we're on Twitter, uh Bad History Cast. Oh, uh, you can email us, we're at badhistorypodcast at gmail dot com. Check us out on SoundCloud. Uh, we're also on, also we're also on iTunes. Uh, iTunes, Yay. just type in Bad History, you'll find us there. Uh, Stitcher as well, Bad History. Uh, drop us oh a line. God. So many you, things. Tweet the deets at us. Uh, tweet those deets. Send us if an you, email. If uh, you disagree, we want to hear why. If you agree, yeah. tell us why Sun Tzu was the greatest military mind. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you have a suggestion on a future topic. Tell Steven, because yeah. I don't care. Yeah, Dave Dave, Dave doesn't care. Uh, but tell me, because I do definitely care. And we'd also, you know, just love to get some, like, some questions to, like, kind of a question segment at some point. So, or maybe, like, a whole episode just devoted to answering questions. But, um, yeah, send us a tweet, send us an email. Um, and, yeah, that'd be super, super cool. But, yeah, come, come and join us again next week. And, you know, we hope you enjoyed until next time, good scrolls, guys. Until next time.